the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. Wednesday, September 6th, 2023. Uh, delight to have you with us. Uh, phone number here is 602-508-0960. Got Mr. David Dahl as my producer to the west of me. I've got Mr. Bill to the north. And uh, whether you are north, south, east, or west, you are welcome to join. We were speaking yesterday with Hugh Hallman and a few others of you about the renewed effort to push masking and vaccine requirements on students. The former in our elementary and secondary schools, the latter more so for our college students, although with masks for them as well. I was making the point that just yesterday there was a headline out of Washington, D.C. in the Hill newspaper, quote, COVID-19 raises anxiety at start of new school year, close quote. And also that Anthony Fauci was on CNN over the weekend to promote the use of masks, even against the overwhelming evidence they don't work against COVID and have a great many negative consequences. The studies are in as to what we did with children, catastrophizing them, using them to soothe adult anxieties, disrupting their natural education and recreational environments, covering their faces, pitting one against the other, etc. This unleashed a massive youth mental health crisis, all for a virus that did not affect them very much, just for a sense of scale. Consider nearly 70% more children die from drowning accidents than from COVID. More children die from drug poisonings every year than died in all three years and a half from COVID. Are we shutting down pools and beaches? Are we requiring swimming floating devices for children? Are we closing schools for drug poisonings or requiring drug testing for children before they can attend school or after school programs? No. COVID, it turns out, is indeed a very privileged disease and a very politicalized one as well. The COVID fear mongers have nothing to say about how wrong they were about masks and vaccines, all the while ignoring all the research over the harm they have done, all the while willing to do it all over again. Einstein reportedly said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. What we are about to unleash again would be an Einsteinian textbook case of insanity, but not as coming from children, coming from adults, foisted on children. The question I keep asking is, I think the question you all keep asking, especially as I see responses on Twitter or X, how, knowing what we know now and what a lot of us knew back in the dark days of deplatforming, how are we going back into this miasma of insanity and fecklessness? Well, this takes me back to a theme from a couple of months ago. Facts don't matter in America anymore. Truth doesn't matter in America anymore. We've, Pake Alexander Solzhenitsyn, become accustomed to live by lies. My truth is now more important than the truth, and these are the wages of that bargain. We know what Alexander Solzhenitsyn said to be true, the only way a tyranny can exist is by lies, and it is our duty to not live by them. We are to have personal non-participation in lies. But, and this is my worry, 
Do we still have that? I was thinking of something Abe Greenwald at Commentary wrote. He was writing about some of the fabrications Donald Trump is accused of routinely and why they don't matter. He wrote, quote, everyone lies now. We live in an age of bipartisan, institutional, cross-cultural fabrication. And we're talking whoppers here. Public health officials lied about the necessity of school closures and the efficacy of masks, which are two opposite mask lies at different times. The bureaucratic and media elite lied about the likely origins of COVID-19. The press lied about the peaceful nature of BLM riots. Twitter lied about its policies. The entire medical and psychological establishment lies about the differences between male and female. It's not just the establishment that lies. In response to these official lies, anti-establishment types tell lies of their own. They lie about the safety of vaccines. And we can't forget Joe Biden, who lies when he whispers and lies when he shouts. The president lies about everything from his policy record to his relationship with his son, to his academic credentials, to how his other son died, to how his house nearly burnt to the ground. Biden has told three different lies about being arrested. In one, it was for civil rights activism, and another for trying to see Nelson Mandela, and yet another for sneaking into a woman's dorm. Lying isn't special. It's the default mode of public debate in the 21st century. We could go on and on with this list, as in things Fauci said when he worked in the government and things he says now, as in Randy Weingarten and what she said when Fauci worked in the government and things she says now. As in what Joe Biden said at Howard University in a commencement speech about Donald Trump praising white supremacists in Charlottesville, or his claim that white supremacy is the most dangerous threat to our homeland, or Alejandro Mayorkas and Karen Jean-Pierre's claims about the border being secure. I mean, there are just too many to count. We are saturated in and by lies. We have Rochelle Walensky telling us that there were no instances of breakthrough cases with the vaccine, and we have emails showing us she knew there were. Before she said that publicly, we are told to accept the idea that Leah Thomas is a woman or that we are against teaching an accurate history of America or that we are banning and blacklisting books in school libraries or that Border Patrol agents beat Haitian immigrants with horse whips. Just yesterday, Karen Jean-Pierre told the press corps exactly this upon the news that Jill Biden had Jill Biden had tested positive for COVID. This was yesterday morning from Karen Jean-Pierre, quote, Since the president was with with the first lady yesterday, he will be masking while indoors and around people in alignment with CDC guidance. And as has has been the practice in the past, the president will remove his mask when sufficiently distanced from others indoors and while outside as well. Close quote. That very afternoon, yesterday afternoon, the president was inside the White House maskless as he stood next to and placed a medal over the head of an elder war hero and veteran. Who are we to take seriously anymore? If you Google and type in the search window, simply this, school masking policies. Just type in school masking policies. This is what pops up immediately. Quote, the CDC recommends universal indoor masking for all teachers, staff, students, and visitors to K-12 schools, regardless of vaccination status, close quote. And then if you go to the FDA website, you get this, quote, While a surgical mask may be effective in blocking splashes and large particle droplets, a face mask by design does not filter or block very small particles in the air that may be transmitted by coughs, sneezes, or certain medical procedures. Surgical masks also do not provide complete protection from germs and other contaminants because of the loose fit, 
between the surface of the mask and your face, close quote. Maybe the health agencies, along with the president and the press secretary, need to go outside, take a few deep breaths, get their stories straight, and come back in the room rather than create cognitive whiplash and feeding confused and confusing narratives that end up hurting more than helping. And we are hurting. I was asked by a smart political observer yesterday to explain if all this new masking school vaccination fetish is coming because elections are coming. And there's been a lot written about this. The answer is I don't know. Jane Fonda called COVID God's gift to the left. And I think that is still the operating and controlling underlying philosophy about all this. Sure, resistance to impractical and harmful COVID policies can be convenient for the left to attack if Republican governors oppose them. But I think that's a diminishing return. Handy for 2020 in the presidential election then, a lot less so now. Rather, instead, I think the left is invested in an unwitting appeasement of adult anxiety and a less than unwitting investment in establishing that America is a generally unhealthy and unsafe society, a sick society. Not because of obesity or drug use. They're kind of selective that way. You notice you can't talk about those things. But in normal, everyday, workaday enterprises like life here generally, in those cases we're sick. The sicker and less safe we are, the more they on the left can attempt to control and the more they can try and convince the healthy that the inmates in our asylum are the psychologically and politically healthy and normal. And some, with all our talk of adolescent and youth mental illness, we really ought be focused on adult mental health issues, of which there are a great many. Starting with not just the obvious increase in adult anxiety and depression and drug use over the past three years, but the use and abuse of children to attempt to soothe and attempt to overcome them in some perverse, factitious, disordered behavior and thinking. Again, as I often say, there would be no children issues in this country if there weren't adult issues. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Um... I was accused of giving short shrift to Bob Dylan yesterday in my discussion with Matt Hoggett about Jimmy Buffett and great lyricists and so forth. Um, Let's wish Bob Dylan a very long life. And when it comes time for him to slip the mortal coil, we will give him his due. He wrote that song for Johnny Cash, and that's all. To quote Forrest Gump, I have to say about that. Speaking of Forrest Gump, books. Yes, young David, you wanted to point out today is a national... National Read-A-Book Day, I believe. It's National Read-A-Book Day. Yeah. Well, first of all, um, I meant to do this with Hallman yesterday. He and I went to this great bookstore. It's on Indian School um, and 36 called the Book Gallery. Oh, that's very close to where I'm at. Yeah. yeah it's well worth your time. You could I, spend I, I've hours. I've seen there. it. Yeah. I thought they were under construction no, or something. No, it's okay. fabulous. Yeah. It's fabulous. And uh, I'll tell a story about it when John Shattuck comes in a bit later because it'll mean something more personally to him. 
but I didn't know it existed either. I mean, I've driven by it, was curious about it, and Holman knew it well. Holman's a man of books and a man of letters, and um, he uh, he took me in. I, I could spend hours there. It's got leather bounds. It's got first editions. It's got contemporary books. But, you know, I was thinking about – did I need to say more about it? No. Okay. I was. It's a great place, by the way, because I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I think I go to a laundromat. Yeah, you do the laundromat. There's a donut store across the street. Your whole life could be dealt with right there. <laughs> Clothing, intellectual, and gustatory uh, inputs. Um, I was having a discussion this morning with a friend of mine about judgments, and it was really in the First Amendment context of, you know permissible and impermissible speech or what some people claim is permissible and impermissible speech. And I was talking about how, you know, we are a society that in certain realms rely on the judgments of people. People, you know, there may be fine lines and some people worry about slippery slopes, especially if government or quasi-government officials get involved. But we make we make judgments all the time, don't we? Aren't we supposed to? Certainly any trial asks a jury to make judgments on sub, such issues as, you know, reasonableness or uh, rational belief or suspected or likely outcome of behavior. Um, there's all kinds of judgments we as a society are are asked to make value and otherwise. And it's interesting to me, you know, the left has tried to denude us of the ability to do so. There's an old line of a Supreme Court justice's uh, in, um, in, a, in, in, I think it's, uh, the case is Miller v. Cohen, and, and I think it's, it's Justice Harlan who says, one man's vulgarity is another man's lyric. And I've always hated that notion, that it, because, because it's, it's the essence of, it's the essence of relativism that we can't distinguish between the vulgar and the non-vulgar. The vulgar and the think about National Book Day. Just off the top of my head, real quick, David, we we are called upon to be able, I would think, to distinguish between, say, a book like what's what's the big popular transgender book that they're thrown around the middle schools these days, Lawn Boy, Lawn Boy. We should be able to distinguish between Lawn Boy and To Kill a Mockingbird. If you can't make a distinction between that vulgarity and that lyric, we're lost. You should be able to distinguish, I don't know, what's another pot? We've, we've gone through these lists of these transgender, adolescent, trans, uh, Call Me Him, I think is one of them. We should be able to distinguish between a book like Call Me Him and the adventures of Huckleberry Finn. It seems to me that we should be able to distinguish. How did Harry Jaffa? Harry Jaffa had a great rendering of this once. We should be able to distinguish between Da Vinci's Last Supper, he said, and Andy Warhol's Campbell's Soup. Now, I would take it. Are you familiar with Andy Warhol's Campbell's Soup? Yeah. Okay. But Very. Don't you think we should be? I mean, okay. It's 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 innocent enough, but the artistic value of one over the other. There should be something we can agree upon. Now there are those in the left who who want to who want to who want to disappear, who want to um, 
who want to blur all those distinctions. And I think that that is a danger that we have to be alerted and, and aware of. You got this in the arts debate back when um, back in the late 80s when there was an uproar over the National Endowment for the Arts paying for arts. I can't really say the name of the piece, but many people will remember that it involved a crucifix put in a um, vulgar place. And whether we all had the duty to say nothing about that and continue paying for that. So artists named Serino, Andrew Serino, Andre Serino, and Robert Maplethorpe, I think, two two different versions of that. The New York Public, uh, New York, the Art Gallery in New York got into this in the late '90s when they had a painting called Virgin Dung, which was being funded by the public, which was the Virgin Mary covered in elephant uh, maneuver. Can we not make distinctions about those things? Of course they have the right. Of course artists have the right to do that. We, the public, don't have the right and obligation to pay for it, though, and we can make these distinctions. And I know that some people will say, well, this is how it starts. This is how the left starts deplatforming ourselves. And it's not exactly quite right. It's not exactly quite right. They only get away with it when we fade or retreat from this argument. They only get away with it, first of all. First of all, the entire understanding of the government getting involved in the First Amendment was pretty settled for about 40 years, from about 68, 69 onwards. It was pretty settled that it really shouldn't get involved in, 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 in these arguments, particularly in the political sphere, which is what friends of mine are worried about. This is how you get deplatformed by the left for saying politically inconvenient or politically objectionable or politically unorthodox things. The government never used to get involved in that stuff, and when they were, there was a unanimous decrying of it, usually from the left, usually from organizations like the ACLU. This changed. The left changed this, especially in in the realm of politics, in the political realm. The left changed this starting around the period of COVID, starting in the latter part of the Trump administration and certainly through, obviously, mis- or disinformation boards that were all the fetish of the Biden administration. They're the ones that broke this barrier. It's a, Oh, you're going to... Okay. Did you do... Th- okay. I have a fifth column in my studio, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. <laughs> Funny whenever I hear that song. And we have the great John Dombrowski with us. I can just imagine him in his salad days at Studio 54 getting jiggy with the Beach Boy music there. John Dombrowski is the founder and president. Am I are you gonna sue me for defamation? He well, that wasn't that wasn't the Beach Boys. 
<laughs> did I say Beach Boys? I meant Beach Boys. did. Did I say Beach Boys? I'm you, meant... pretty sure you did. Uh, all right. Well, they Unless I was I, just overwhelmed you with were, what you were You were saying. just fuming is what you yeah. were. You, the, the steam was coming out of your ears. You couldn't hear me speak of the Brothers Gibb. Let me give you a proper introduction. John Dombrowski is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, and his great website is grandcanyonplanning.com, which is a great place to learn more about him and them and get in touch with them. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. All thank right. you. Climb off that, uh, climb off that ledge a little bit. I'm happy that you're not playing Jimmy Buffett today. You are. Yes. Now I can sue you. <laughs> da- to help me out here, brother. Dow tumbles nearly 200 points. Nasdaq falls a third straight day as Fed yeah. rate hike fears return. My gosh, John. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this can drive a guy crazy. It's day by day, right? Yeah. That's why it's so difficult for some people out there to invest their own money. Yeah. Because if you follow the day-to-day news, it's no, it's no different than following any of the other uh, news channels, you know, whether it's the financial news or it's the news of the day. Um, you know, there's always positives and negatives out there. And um, the stock prices do react to these things just as people react to news that they uh, hear or read about. And sometimes they overreact. Yeah. Uh, and so this is where, again, you know, you have to just put the day-to-day things aside yeah. and look at a much bigger, longer-term picture mm-hmm. when it comes to the market. Yeah, we've had a couple of bad days in the market. What does that mean long-term? Probably nothing. Yeah. Uh, and so we just have to make sure that, you know, if we're investing, we have to be investing in uh, investments that we're comfortable with and confident about and understand why we're investing in those and uh, take a, a very long-term look at how things, uh, you know, eventually will um, turn out. Because as we know, over time, history has proven the markets perform fairly well over time. And, you know, you can carve out a comfortable retirement if you invest wisely and properly and take advice of a good advisor. You know, also it dawns on me, you know, I talk a lot about news that ends up not being true or fake news or, Mm -hmm. you know, news that's overinflated in and of itself. Never, never. Right? Right? But the markets sometimes react to that too, and that can change the next day, right? Based on news that is true or not or overemphasized or overly exaggerated, right? Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of economists out there or so-called analysts out there that you know are uh, you know giving buy ratings or sell ratings on companies for whatever the reason, uh, and uh, you hear maybe them say things about uh, a company that are untrue. Yeah, you know, flat out untrue after after uh, further investigation, and uh, it does affect the stock price sometimes. And you know whether or not that was an intentional uh, reason that they did these things, or if they truly believed what they said. Uh, were, were fact, uh, but unfortunately, it's not always the case, Seth. And again, we have to sift through those things as, as advisors and, and really, really work on building solid strategies and plans for our clients. You know, one thing we haven't spent a lot of time on that I'd like to lay a bookmark down with you if you're interested in talking about this. Wall Street Journal has a piece today on their rankings of the best colleges in America, and they kind of have an interesting way of ranking it, a little different Mm -hmm. than the old U.S. News and World Report having to do with how students will do when they graduate. And whether, you know, a lot of people start college funds, John, and I just, it might be fun to have a good conversation about, well, under the general rubric, is college worth it? Um, And, you know, 
worth socking away money for and things like that. Because I will tell you, I have changed my views on this, and they're, they're, they're still subject to change yet again. But that sure. might be a fun conversation for us to have, too, about grandparents and parents saving yeah. for co- – is college worth it, you know? Yeah, why don't we do that next yeah. week? We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll set one of these things up for that. For that. I, I think that you would bet. be hugely valuable. I know a lot, of yeah. Co- yeah, a lot of colleges don't want to hear this conversation, but I bet a lot of our audience does. Well, either way, the colleges are going to get their money, right? Yes, Unless, yes, see, there, you know, yes that's yes, exactly. You know, so it's whether uh, individuals I, I w- will get their worth out of it, right? Yes, yeah. yes. I would love to do uh, that. Totally, love to do it. Okay, good. Yeah, you bet. All right, thank you, brother. All right, yeah. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipic, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Reach out to us at GrandCanyonPlanning dot com. You can request an appointment right there. Thanks, Seth. All right, <laughs> sorry for that intro. No, it was fun. Oh, okay, all fun, all I good. Just have this vision of you at studio. Okay, come on. Right. Come on. I, I could. I, I did. I did do the hustle pretty good. I must did say. you? All right. Yeah. Not the bunny hop as much. Okay. <laughs> Be right back. Take care. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brett Johnson is a partner at the law firm of Snell and Wilmer, headquartered here in Phoenix offices. Across the country, he is our uh, expert on constitutional and election law. We refer to him as the Robert Jackson Visiting Fellow on both. Brett, welcome back to the show. How are you, sir? Good. Thank you for having me. I was just thinking of that quote from Oliver Twist where Mr. Bumble says the law is an ass. I have to tell you, Brett, I, this, I thought this, this story would be about a one-day story, and it's now picking up steam. This notion that candidates, mostly we see it with Republican candidates and primarily now with Donald Trump, can be barred from running for office or from taking office based on the insurrection clause of the 14th Amendment. This this is nutso to me. I, you don't have to agree if you don't. But I, <laughs> I, I, I also I, I look at this at the same moment. Just today, the AP is reporting that a group in Colorado has filed a lawsuit to bar Donald Trump from the primary ballot there under this clause. What the heck is going on? And tell me if I'm over, over, overwrought on this. You're not overbroad on this. Um, this is the the issue when things have not been litigated in our history, dealing with uh, um, you know uh, certain sections of the Constitution. Yeah, we 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 face it irregularly. You know, it seems like especially with a lot of lawyers in in our country. You know, it seems like everything has always been litigated, but this is one of those unique little issues that has not been fully addressed. Obviously, it, it, as way of background for everybody, this is Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment. This is not going all the way back to our founding fathers. This was the 14th Amendment that was put into place after the Civil War and for the specific purpose that, you know, people who were governors or state legislators or in some other role in the Confederate states uh, basically switched hats right when the the Civil War was over um, and the federal government, uh, you know, determined that was inappropriate and, and, and passed the 14th Amendment along with the 13th and the 15th. Um, to to address some of the reconstruction issues and, and basically hold people accountable. Later on, back in the full full history lesson here, later on in the 1870s, Congress then gave it an amnesty act and, and allowed anybody who was kind of captured within Section Three or the of the Fourteenth Amendment gave them amnesty so that they can then hold office. So that was one of the issues. But ironically, that was one of that, that amnesty act has been one of the issues that 
that in the last election, when this became an issue, um, one of the judges ha- um, held his, in, in his ruling that the Amnesty Act and basically eviscerated Section 3. I, I am, though, uh, of the mind that Section 3 is still in the Constitution and has not been very well defined by any of our courts. So it's, it's unfortunate, but it's going to be something that's, that's re-triggered. Now, real quick, Seth, I want to point everything out, is again, that during the last election, this was brought out um, in force in Arizona. The Arizona Supreme Court actually addressed a very similar issue in regard to two sitting congressmen and an individual who was running for Secretary of State. And the Arizona Supreme Court basically said, listen, we're not getting involved in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. This is a political issue. Congress has not defined how the process would work, and therefore we're not going to kick these candidates off. Um, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting. A lot of uh, the ground that was trod uh, a year or so ago is going to be now brought back up, and, and eventually the courts are going to have to deal with this. Brett, thank you for that. And uh, here's here's something that that has me worried greatly about this. I was reading the the Atlantic, uh, where uh, two law, well, two well known lawyers, uh, particularly law professor Lawrence Tribe, write this. They write this quote: "The disqualification clause operates independently." independently of any such criminal proceedings and indeed also independently of impeachment proceedings and of congressional legislation. That tells me, I mean, without a criminal proceeding decision, without a conviction and impeachment, and without congressional legislation, anyone can just go around saying insurrection, 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 and try and bar someone yeah. from office. The subjectivity here seems to me, uh, seems to me a, runaway, a runaway jury. Yeah, and I, and I read that article, and I also read the Law Review article, Pennsylvania Law Review article. It's coming out in 2024. It's just an advanced copy that kind of walks through a lot of these legal arguments. The one thing that is significantly missing through a lot of this analysis is the procedural due process protections that are also in the 14th Amendment, that you can't just automatically you know, determine somebody um, is an insurrectionist, et cetera, that they have to go through some sort of, of process. Now, if somebody is... There is an insurrection law that is on the books, and if you've been watching the news, it's been used quite regularly um, for uh, many of the folks that are involved in the January 6 events. Um, and that would be a criminal. That person is declared an insurrectionist. In regards to the great majority of individuals who challenged the election, um, they were not brought up on any type of insurrection-type um, claim or, or a criminal complaint. What those authors are trying to propose, though, is very, very troubling that an individual election official can make a determination that somebody is an insurrectionist and disqualify them from being put onto the ballot or from holding office if it got that far. The procedural due process, though, clause is going to to come into play. And um, I do agree with the uh, with several of the commentators, unless Congress acts, this is going to be decided by 50 different courts applying state law and how elections are handled in those individual states, ironically. Well, further ironically, that being, that being exactly the opposite of why there was a 14th Amendment being needed in the first place. That's right. No, I mean, right? I mean, this, the, yeah. The, the, yeah. Not, not to mention a constitutional uh, qualifications clause for the presidency of the United States. I mean, this is... This is not something you can have 50 versions of or from what I'm seeing, perhaps even in Colorado. I mean, 
well, okay, we're on the same page here. It just seems like an awfully treacherous road to go down. I, I gather you're right about Congress needing to have to fill out the uh, the contours of this as the 14th Amendment itself uh, implicates. But it seems to me for for law professors and respected jurists to be saying that this is this is how we want to go forward with our elections. It seems to me they're playing with fire. They are playing with fire, and and you know don't get me wrong, law professors, lawyers, we deal with uh, with abstract and sure. different legal theories all Cre- the time. Creative, even yes, and, and yes, very creative, <laughs> yes. And, and and you sometimes have to be, especially as as the the law changes based off of facts, etc. I, I do think that there is irony here, and and, and this might upset some people, but there, the, the arguments and some of the indictments against uh, President Trump are related to legal, creative legal advice that sure. he was getting. Sure. So I think that, that it is ironic that now there, there's creative legal um, theories about trying to ensure that somebody's disqualified from office, that that is okay um, type, of, type of content, which I think it is. There, these are discussions that need to be had for sure. But it's just I, I do see the irony um, of, of one person's constitutional legal thought being the grounds for a criminal complaint and then other legal thought of, well, this is how we're going to bar somebody from holding office. Yeah. It's just it's just an ironic it, situation. Is, where yes, it, it's a shoe on the other foot test that isn't being passed and hardly does around here anymore. I would just suggest that the only major distinction is is we're not going to go around and try and strip Lawrence Tribe of his of his uh, of his bar registration <laughs> Brett Johnson bless you sir thank you sir thank you you bet I'm Seth we'll be right back portions of the show brought to you by Y refi which is a organization headquartered here business right here blessedly in um, Arizona which offers up an investment in a secure collateralized portfolio that is not tied to the Federal Reserve, not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. So if you are concerned about the uh, vicissitudes of stock market volatility and the talk of recession or inflation, this might be a very good investment for you. This is um, a great uh, investment that can offer you up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. It's a portfolio where you can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. There are absolutely no fees. There's no reduction or attack on principal. If you ever need your money back at any time, your monthly statement comes with no surprises. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, and then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24. 888-YREFI-24. Headquartered over at uh, Scottsdale Road in the 101. If you want to visit them, they welcome that. Uh, John Hinderocker was uh, writing on this issue. Brett Johnson and I were just discussing this use of the 14th Amendment to keep Donald Trump from being eligible to attain office. He writes, "I remember, right? You have to, you have to have a, a claim of." leading an insurrection or attempting an insurrection against the United States under this clause in the 14th Amendment. And John writes, I don't doubt that the Democrats would have liked to ta- charge Trump with insurrection under Title 18.2383 of the U.S. Code, but they didn't attempt to do that. None of these prosecutors have done that, presumably because the theory is so transparently stupid. 
So evidently, their fallback theory is that in a particular state, Colorado, as we just saw, local officials should take the initiative to par Trump from the ballot, thus forcing him to go to court to reverse their decision. Or else, prior to other, any, any other administrative action, there could be a proceeding in which a court would determine whether or not Trump engaged in insurrectional rebellion within the meaning of the amendment. How far this gets presumably will depend on the integrity of local officials and courts, but likely the Democrats' real objective is to embroil Trump in as many legal proceedings as possible in the months leading up to the election, all of which confirms, as Senator Tom Cotton has said, that the Democrats will do anything, engage in any dishonesty, violate any norms, shred the fabric of civil society, will increase their power. Is anyone asking the question how you lead an insurrection against your own government. I, I, who was the president during this attempted insurrection? Okay, we'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.